Hello, this is Digital Accessibility, the people behind the progress. I'm Joe Walensky, the creator and host of this series. And as an accessibility professional myself, I find it very interesting as to how others have found their way into this profession. So let's meet one of those people right now and hear about their journey. Well, let's get into this interview, and I'm very pleased to be talking today with Regine Gilbert. Hello, Regine. How are you doing today? Hi. It's good to be here. I'm so happy to be talking to you today. Yeah, well, we hadn't talked before, so it's really good to be able to meet you uh, in this format. And uh, I'm uh, in my home office in Vashon, Washington, which is an island near Seattle. Um, you're you're either have a beautiful background or a beautiful place, but why don't you uh, let us know where you're talking to us from? Yeah, so I'm actually I'm sitting in my office um, at NYU in Brooklyn, New York. All right. Well, I, I'm glad we're able to uh, get together for this, and uh, um, you know, probably a good place to start is uh, you know if you just talk a little bit about uh, you know the work that you're doing right now, and then we kind of go from there. Sure. So I'm currently an industry assistant professor in the integrated design and media program that's part of the Tandon School of Engineering. And I teach user experience design as well as I co-teach uh, an assistive tech class with uh, Gus Chalkius. And we teach students um, about the assistive tech that um, blind and low vision folks use. Uh, Gus is blind, and then I bring in the the UX piece. And my, I mean, he's he is um, he is definitely way more of an expert on assistive tech than me. But I have learned so much from him, and um, teaching the classes is, is a lot of fun. And this upcoming semester, I'm actually going to be teaching a voice user interface class for the first time, and incorporating accessibility in the, into it. But that's everything you just talked about is really progressive. Is, is that is that department that you're in, you know, particularly pointed toward providing that type of uh, curriculum content or is it something that you've uh, kind of helped foster there? Yeah, so um, this department I really love because it's really um, diverse in, in the, the learnings that students can can get. Um, my colleagues are, you know, experts in virtual reality and augmented reality and wearables and, um, tech, you know, technology and art and, um, you know, and uh, like biology and, and uh, you know, and really like working with plants and technology. So there's like all kinds of things that that, that folks are, are working on in my department. So students have a lot of options when it comes to learning. Well, I, yeah, I want to talk more about the work that you're, you're doing now, but uh, one of the themes of this uh, uh, series of interviews that I'm doing is to uh, look at the journey that, has, that people have taken to, that has resulted in where they are today. Uh, maybe you could, uh, think about, you know, a place that you'd like to pick as a starting point. It doesn't have to be accessibility specific, but, you know, just maybe help us uh, understand what some of the formative things were that got you on the journey to where you are today. Yeah, one of the things that had a huge impact um, on me when I was growing up is my, uh, my cousin, Tammy, is deaf. And 
um, being like interacting with her, learning a li- little bit of sign language, um, getting to see how she she is in the world, and that really had a lot of influence on me. Saying, you know, I, I think I started questioning when I was young, like why isn't more stuff better, like. Why isn't this thing better? Why isn't this thing better? And why can't we do more things better to communicate? And then, you know, fast forward years later, I I worked um, I worked in information technology for a lot of years, and I got bored and started taking UX classes. And in my 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 UX class, there was one slide about accessibility. This is what I remember clearly. Um, and I just, I think that sparked something else in me. And that led me to wanting to learn more and going to a meetup. And from there, it's just, I, I dove, <laughs> I dove right on in um, and got really interested in learning um, and doing, incorporating it into my, my UX job. I created, um, guidelines at one job and nobody asked for them. I created accessibility guidelines um, because I was so interested in it. I really wanted people to 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 apply it to their work. And then I started I, I started teaching uh, UX in 2015 at General Assembly and I uh, incorporated accessibility into my courses by having my students do a lot of assumptions around what um, in particular, uh, blind folks might do when they're in the kitchen. And I would have my students come up with a concept, you know, sketch it out. And I say, you know, you should be able to describe this. And then I actually brought in uh, folks who were blind to critique. And that really was informative for my students to say, oh, you know, this is user experience, right? You have to talk to people. You can't just assume because all of their ideas were busted right like they they realized you know we can't really make stuff if we don't involve and talk to the people who this applies to well i you know just going back a little bit you know before the teaching to that work that you were doing uh in ux for organizations uh i know as you know as a lot of us you know that's a logical step for a lot of us but sometimes um, you know, we'll do things, but then we run into obstacles at an organization that maybe isn't ready to put in the resources. Uh, some of the fortunate few uh, find that they're, uh, you know, immediately supported. What was that experience like for you? Uh, you know, not, not necessarily, you know, specifics about an organization, but uh, I mean, what was your experience there? Um, I mean, I've had both where people are very supportive and where people just don't care. Uh, so when, when, you know, I was getting support and the higher ups were like, yeah, let's do all of the things. Uh, it was, it just made my life easier, made my job easier. It was easier for communication between the developers and our teams. And when we didn't, you know, have support or, it was it was a challenge. Um, it was a huge challenge to kind of fight for what's right, but then have to back down. And um, in in those situations, uh, um, what 
what type of strategies did you use? Was it like a, a you know, return on investment met, metrics about maybe, a, you know, audience that that was new or was it kind of more the, the, the stick versus the carrot related to legal or what, you know, what were some of the ways that you were able to build support for that or build a case for your work? Uh, the ways that I built a uh, case was uh, search engine optimization and partnering with the the marketing teams and the and the search engine folks. That was one um, that was very successful. Another way, yeah, is to dangle that carrot uh, about the legal reasons uh, why we you know we should be uh, accessible. And then my I, I think the big <laughs> the biggest and best strategy is to just ask questions. And to ask questions that are promoting accessibility, but without saying the words, because what I what I found in my previous work experience is when I said accessibility, automatically people would shut down, say that's too hard, right? So then it was asking the questions, you know, are we sure about these colors? Are we sure we want to do this thing, right? Um, have we thought about this, right? So just asking questions uh, related to what we were working on and seeing what people would answer. Because then I could say, oh, we could maybe try this or, you know. So there were, that was my my way around it. I, I, I think asking questions um, is the best thing anyone can do uh, to get people to think. I, I like to say as a, you know, as an educator, I cannot teach anybody anything. I can only hope that the questions that I ask provoke people to think. Well, it, it sounds like a great approach, and and uh, you know, the, you mentioned the uh, the SEO, which uh, you know is something that you know that I I've delved into uh, related to accessibility. But I think a lot of people, uh, even in the accessibility area, may not. Uh, uh, you know, understand uh, the how how the two pieces can really work together uh, with accessibility uh, components adding signals to search engine optimization. And was that something that uh, you you just like identified individually, or was there, do you have some uh, colleagues in marketing where you explored this area? Oh yeah. So um, in one particular instance, I worked directly with the the search engine optimization person, like the person in the company. And I was like, and he was like, I know that accessibility helps SEO. I don't know how it does it exactly, but I know it works. And so I said, okay, great. You know, and he was he was so happy to have someone you know support him, and he supported me, and then we got marketing involved and marketing's like, yeah, we, we need, we need to be at the top of Google. <laughs> so how can we do this? Well, I, now that uh, you're uh, in involved uh, in the uh, work at NYU and in teaching regularly, um, it, how does that uh, kind of manifest itself uh, with, with your students? Uh, are, are, are they, uh, interested specifically in that topic or 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 they uh, maybe are just exploring it or a mix or kind of how is that set up where you're at? Yeah, so I teach user experience design uh, primarily and 
I incorporate accessibility from day one. Like we start talking about it from the beginning. And therefore the, stu the students work on, uh, my students will work on individual projects and team projects and their team projects are always with a real life client. Both their team and individual projects have accessibility components in them from the beginning, from the research phase, um, from the planning phase. And um, just this past semester and even this summer, my students are working on a project that is um, uh, through ERISA Labs and ERISA Labs received a grant from NASA to make uh, the Eclipse that are upcoming in the next couple years accessible in particular to the blind and low vision community through sound. And so this particular project involves a lot of data and sound. And so my students last semester did a lot of research in regards to best practice. They did user interviews. Uh, they did, um, um, you know, looking at scholarly articles. And uh, this summer, my grad research assistant and I are working on the designs. And to do that, we have been working with uh, subject matter experts as well as people getting input from folks in the blind and low vision community. So we are um, in my in my my teaching is is also practice because we're always working with real life clients every semester. Well, I, 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 one of the things that I uh, read recently was the uh, article that uh, that I saw on LinkedIn, uh, which was where you're talking about developing accessibility guidelines for extended reality. And and that, that was an area, I mean, there's so many areas of accessibility, it's hard to keep up with everything. But it was one that I hadn't really been familiar with, thought about at all, uh, but I found the article you know, really illuminating. Maybe talk a little bit about that technology and your work specifically in that area. Sure. So I, um, you know, in my past life, I had a consulting business and I worked in a co-working space with um, a group uh, that was working on augmented reality. And they were like, we need UX help. And I was like, what, what is the stuff you're working on? It seems cool. And so I ended up doing some a usability testing for this augmented reality company and that kind of got me into uh the what they call xr some people uh it's it's uh extended reality so extended reality xr is an umbrella term for uh virtual reality augmented reality mixed reality um, and any sort of immersive technology or anything that's using spatial computing, AI could fall in, in that umbrella too. And so I started thinking about, and, and this came from last summer, um, what, <laughs> I was talking to Gus, my, my co-teacher for the assistive technology class, and I was talking to him about Pokemon Go. And he said, I wish I could play Pokemon Go. And then I thought to myself, well, okay, Gus is blind and he can't play Pokemon Go because it's not accessible. Why isn't it? And why isn't augmented reality accessible? And so last summer, my students worked with Gus and a company called Rose Digital to create concepts around uh, accessible augmented reality. So they, they didn't build anything, but they did create concepts. And that had me thinking about accessibility overall in the XR space and where does it start? 
you know, where do you start? And he said, well, people start with the tools. And are these tools accessible, not just from a, a standpoint uh, disability, uh, but accessible from a cost perspective? And so my, my grad assistant, um, Saki Asakawa, and I uh, went through as many tools as we could find the popular tools. And we, we looked at about 60 tools, uh, specifically looking at the price, looking at the hardware needed, uh, uh, software needed to run these programs, and if there was any accessibility associated with them. And from there, we ended up uh, writing this article and we created a subway map, which this upcoming semester, I hope I can make an a tactile version. Um, but we created a subway map and the subway map lists out what's free, what costs money, what has accessibility uh, related, and each subway line is a purpose. So there's, um, you know, for like drawing or um, things of that nature. So that's that's kind of the, the long story of how I got into that. And in addition to that, I'm part of XR Access, which uh, was started by Cornell Tech. And it's really, uh, the, it's, a, it's a large group working to make sure that accessibility is getting built into, you know, this emer emerging technology that a lot more people are using. And uh, I'm also doing uh, research with design patterns with an organization called Veil, and it's uh, researchers from all over the world examining design patterns with different titles. And then I am working on a second book, which is uh, I'm co-authoring with Doug Northcook, and it's about the human side of spatial computing, where we will talk about accessibility um, in there. So. Yeah, that's, that's uh, in a nutshell, how I got into uh, the XR space um, and what I'm doing now. Well, yeah, that, that's a great story to hear about that. And, and uh, it's uh, obviously going to be something that we're going to be uh, learning about and working with uh, more and more moving into the future. Uh, you briefly mentioned, uh, you know, a new book uh, and some some things that you're, uh, you know, working on. Uh, Maybe talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what kind of what future plans or things that you're currently uh, really passionate about. Anything you can share about uh, your latest projects? Yeah, sure. So I'm I, this this. Um, so the the um, the NASA Soundscapes project is an ongoing project. It's it's a five year project and my students will be every semester working on something different uh, with the project um, and my research around um, inclusive and accessible XR, it continues. Um, I'm hoping in the coming time to actually, because of the pandemic, I, I felt a little thrown off with, where do I go? What do I do if I'm not able to be, you know, with people? Uh, so what I'm working on now, or what I've been working on over the summer is looking at inclusiveness and accessibility for different titles, uh, specifically with one type of headset. So it's my hope to expand that to try other headsets and see how that goes. And in addition, continue working and researching for my book um, and getting real understanding of the layout of the, the, the space and really the human side of things and how we can make these experiences overall more accessible, not just from a 
um, a disability perspective, but from uh, a, a true inclusive perspective. Well, you obviously keep yourself really busy. Yeah. And uh, I want to thank you uh, for taking time out of your business busy schedule to uh, chat with me and good luck with your book. And uh, hopefully we can uh, meet sometime in, in the physical world. But if not, yeah. uh, uh, it is really great chatting with you. Thank you so much, Joe. Hi, I'm Joe Walensky, and as host of the Digital Accessibility Program, I like to keep the focus on our amazing guests. But I'm always excited about my role as Accessibility Director at Blink, the producer of this program, and I'd like to share that with you. Blink is the world's leader in evidence-driven design, and we work with a wide variety of clients. Founded in Seattle, we also have offices in Boston, New York, Austin, San Diego, and San Francisco. Our stated mission is to make technology human. Embracing inclusive design and accessibility brings all of us closer to that mission. We bring accessibility in every one of our projects. Our philosophy is that each of our practitioners should understand how accessibility applies to their own work. Accessibility is not a separate department or activity for us. Our researchers, designers, and developers all employ accessibility principles at every stage. If you have a need for research and design services, Blink is a partner with a full-time commitment to making your product or service accessible and a great experience for all of your customers. Some of the specific areas where we can help, using research to better understand the needs of your customers with disabilities, innovating to make sure your accessibility is the best in class design, we can move existing designs to development in a sprint. And maybe most importantly, we provide a turnkey transformation to an accessible site or app. Of course, compliance status is something that we always include as part of the service. If any of this is of interest, please get in touch with me directly at joe at blinkux.com. That's J-O-E at B-L-I-N-K-U-X.com. Thank you. And please take a moment to rate our program in whatever app you use.